My name is Paul Shirley, and you are about to hear another episode slash chapter of The Process is the Product, my book-turned-bookcast about how to find meaning in your work life, your creative life, and your home life. I'm glad you're here. Chapter 8, How to Keep Going. I grew up playing video games, which is no real surprise because I am exactly the right age for this to be true. I had just turned 11 at Christmas of 1988 and was therefore primed and ready for the Nintendo Entertainment System waiting for my brothers and me under the tree. That Nintendo hosted breathless runs through Super Mario Bros., exhaustive summertime tournaments of Tecmo Super Bowl, and annoyed abortive attempts at a RoboCop tie-in that prompted more than a few frustrated tosses of one of those surprisingly corner-heavy controllers. Next came a Nintendo 64 because we skipped the Super Nintendo Sega Genesis battle. I had a PlayStation, then a PlayStation 2, and eventually a Nintendo Wii, which was the system that made me lose track of my gaming past, becoming an old person who now says things like, I miss when you could just pick up a controller and start playing. There was one constant to all these video games. They always got harder. It didn't matter if it was Metal Gear Solid or Contra or Super Mario Bros. As my brothers and I progressed through the games, we were tested in new ways. The enemies got bigger weapons, they got more numerous, the turtles stood up and started throwing hammers. But just as our enemies added to their capacity for destruction, we got better too. In The Legend of Zelda, we were able to add more hearts to our life meter. In Mario Kart, we picked up shells to throw. In Super Mario Bros. 3, we got to fly. This is how life works too. At times, adulthood can seem impossible. The sheer number of obstacles and hardships can be overwhelming. Firings, breakups, deaths, often hurled at us at the same time, like so many hammers from so many Hammer Brothers. Thankfully, we have the capacity to add new skills so we can deal with our respective Bebops, Rocksteadies, Koopa Troopers, and Hammer Brothers. There are many things that can help, including meditation, psychological therapy, sleeping more, eating better, and exercising. But here I'd like to focus on one skill I've found surprisingly helpful, doing more. Two weeks into my first semester at Iowa State, I stopped by my neighbor's room for a quick hello before I rushed off to basketball practice. I found my neighbor in a beanbag chair on the floor, watching Seinfeld reruns. We chatted about some upcoming engineering project that had me completely baffled, and I asked him how he was feeling about it. He told me he was also baffled. But I've got some time, he said, waving at his dorm standard surroundings and Kramer on the TV. He was finished with class for the day and had 10 hours to work on that project. I had less time, like way less, like so much less that it was almost absurd. Sometimes I had 10 extra minutes inside the engineering building, 20 extra minutes inside the chemistry building, 15 minutes in the library. A lot of these constraints came thanks to the demands basketball was making on my schedule. If practice started at 3.30, I needed to be inside the locker room at 2.30, which meant I needed to leave the dorm by 2.15. After practice, the best case scenario was that I was done by 7. Then there were road trips and injuries and possibly the biggest factor of all. My body needed copious amounts of time just for rest and recovery. In order to triage all these demands, I came up with some rules for how I studied. On weeknights, no studying after 9 p.m. On weekends, no studying after 5 p.m. No studying for a test on the day of the test. I also figured out that going to class gave me all sorts of advantages over my classmates who didn't. 
In a classroom setting, I could put to use the one advantage I had over many of my engineering classmates. I could carry on a conversation. I could charm and wheedle my way into hints about upcoming tests, tips about what we really needed to study, and ideas on how to finish the homework assignments filled with the math that was decidedly not my strong suit. There were sacrifices, of course. I could afford to skip studying on weeknights and weekend evenings as long as I used those periods of time to rest and not rock out. I didn't drink in college, but that was about the only thing I gave up. I still went to movies and concerts and football games. Now, you might be thinking, maybe you're just a genius, Paul. Hardly. I asked for help constantly, including from my professors. One of those professors berated me for not understanding one particular problem. It turned out that the answer could be found based on simple geometry, but I wasn't seeing it. Out in the world, I wouldn't want you on my team, he shouted. I also felt consistently overmatched by my classmates, who were often exactly how you might imagine a bunch of engineers to be. They were happy to spend hours and hours inside computer labs, and they rarely said anything funny. I often wished I had more time, more rest, more chances to sit on beanbag chairs and watch Seinfeld reruns. But invariably, I would find that more time didn't help. I would waste that extra time on things like lazing around in bed or watching TV. So I would slap my cheeks like Kevin McAllister and recommit to my rules. I worked hard, but I worked smart. If I had those 10 minutes inside an engineering building, that's when I studied. When someone gave me a chance to rest, I took advantage, and I rested. When I was done with one thing, I let it go, and I moved on to the next. The results? While starting for an Iowa State basketball team that won back-to-back Big 12 championships and was ranked as high as fourth in the country, I managed a 3.68 GPA in mechanical engineering and was named to the academic All-American team and got good enough to play in the NBA. As for that neighbor, the one with the beanbag chair and the Seinfeld reruns, he lasted one semester. It's not just him, of course. We all know those people who complain that they don't have enough time, but who always seem to make no progress with what they're doing. Similarly, we meet people who talk about how much time they're spending on things, but then they never accomplish anything. The writer who claims to write for eight hours a day, but never finishes a book. The middle manager who always talks about a full inbox, but never seems to make any headway in their career. The executive who doesn't have time for lunch, but whose company only seems to flounder. These people are doing what my old dorm neighbor did. They're letting their tasks expand into the time available. The answer for these people is almost always the same. No matter what the project, they need to put in constraints and give themselves less time. And they need to do this radically. Instead of working on a PDF for four hours, they need to give it 20 minutes. Instead of spending 40 minutes on the perfect email, they need to write it in four. Do the same with your newfound extra time. Spend 20 minutes every day on a new language. Read for 15 minutes every day. Fill your bucket, but fill it with projects you care about and projects that contrast your existing projects. One reason it worked for me to be so busy at Iowa State, basketball came as a relief from studying and studying became a relief from basketball. This job of doing more becomes all the more important as we age. Our brains slow down, our bodies don't recover as quickly, and we're tempted to settle into habits and patterns that may not serve us. Collectively, these obstacles are the great boss battle we all face. Bowser waiting at the end of level 8-4 in Super Mario Bros. We have a fireball, though. As we age, we become better at incorporating all our life experiences into strategic thinking. As neuropsychologist Daniel Levitin writes in Successful Aging, quote, Older minds might process information more slowly than younger ones, 
but they can intuitively synthesize a lifetime of information and make smarter decisions based on decades of learning from their mistakes. All our experiences make us good at thinking up new ways around the problems we're faced with. However, we won't create these strategies if we're not forced to, if we're not continually exposed to all those Koopa Troopers and Hammer Brothers. This is why we have to push ourselves to do more. This is how we can become the sort of person who not only gets things done, but keeps doing them. This doesn't mean we'll beat Bowser forever. No one ever has. It does mean that we'll keep him at bay for a very long time and live long, full lives in the process. Thank you for listening to The Process is the Product. If you could use some help building better habits, connecting to your why, and breaking big projects into smaller, accomplishable tasks, come see us at createyourprocess.com. We'd be glad to talk about how we could help you or your work team.